Hi, welcome to another session with Brian and Steven on the Frequency IoT podcast. How's it going over there, Brian? Pretty good. Um, pretty good, Steve. I'm uh, a little under the weather today, but let's hope that uh, um, a heavy dose of oranges and apples will help pull me out of this funk. If that doesn't work, then we'll use some espresso. Exactly. Well, I know you and I had a couple of cool topics we wanted to make sure that we got covered before the holidays. And one of those was an article that we both kind of share between each other that was out of Tech Republic. And it was covering the five biggest IoT failures that um, they, in, in their opinion, right, the the security failures that happened in 2018. And uh, we won't cover all five, but I'll, I'll let you start, Brian. Which one uh, did you have the most interest or recall reading about when it happened? Well, it, so it, for me, you know, when we're out talking to partners and customers, I just kind of want to take a step back here. You know, when you know, we're being considered as trusted advisors, I cannot emphasize enough how much security plays into building a successful IoT solution. And uh, when I read some of these attacks um, that were out and highlighted in the Tech Republic article, um, it's it's quite interesting because some some of these attacks. Now I'll give the uh, the sideband frequency issue with the sirens uh, a pass, but some of these attacks occur with devices that are not on um, private networks. They don't have private APNs or private uh, IP VPN from the core to the device, which is like rule number one when you're building IoT solutions. So I run into partners, they'll say, well, we'll just resolve it through the firewall or we create an SSL tunnel. And I kind of put my hand to my forehead saying, no, <laughs> you know, but I mean, because I, you know, could introduce all kinds of other DNS attack uh, vectors. But um, yeah, so the biggest takeaway for me, when I read this article, um, although the siren, what was it, the siren, um, uh, siren jack attack was, uh, quite interesting where, um, where North Korea, I guess, um, where they were able to trigger, uh, emergency broadcast systems, uh, through using some sidebands in, uh, the siren systems. But, uh, other than that, I thought, uh, some of these are easily preventable. But, um, you know, the, the interesting one with, uh, um, uh, which one was it that where there was a, uh, hardware, uh, backdoor embedded in hardware, you know, that's a, that's a frequent attack vector in, um, I know U.S. security, uh, or cybersecurity, well, uh, U.S. intelligence agencies have utilized that, uh, vector before, I think, Triple Des was an issue. Uh, you know, that encryption algorithm was shown to have a mathematical backdoor, which consequently most have moved over to AES now, right? I think the Triple Des is, uh, came off of the, uh, <coughs> the, um, you know, the list for secure, uh, uh, communication methods. 
So tripping over my words, I'm going to need some more espresso, Steve. <laughs> so the one I found the most interesting wasn't, in in my opinion, it's not really IoT, right, was the mention of location smart. So that's a, yeah. a firm that essentially acquires um, anonymous location data from our cell phones, right, from our cell phone providers. And, you know, a lot of people are doing things to, you know, get off Facebook and things like that, you know, things that are traditionally done on their phone to try to get some of their privacy back. But, you know, down at the core, right, you still don't necessarily even own that much of the control over that device, right? So um, yeah. I found that interesting. And then certainly the the one that was most widely noticed was the, the echo, the, the echo <laughs> article right so the, the echo randomly recording conversations right even the, the echo you know, alexa Terrible. randomly laughing um was yeah. kind of frightening too yeah. um and again I'm, a, I'm an offender right i've got a couple of these in the house and uh what's funny is even even though they have a you know in the back of my mind they do have a mute button where allegedly it kind of cuts everything off um, you know, I always wonder, I see the red glow around the button saying, hey, I've got it cut off. It won't listen to any commands. You know, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, but is it still really listening? <laughs> right. So, um, you know, these products that are put into our yeah. homes, right, are probably the least secure <laughs> items. Right. Um, yeah. But also yeah. the ones that uh, certainly are gathering the most information. Yeah, the Amazon Echo is particularly troubling, right? Because there is an when you're purchasing a device with a certain brand, there is some implicit trust, you know, that is being um, purchased along with that product. And yeah, that one was a bit uh, disconcerting. But uh, you know, it's interesting with these with these smart devices in the home. It's a it's almost like you, you kind of touched on it with the, the mute button, right? Is it really muting or is it really not, right? And, you know, in the aviation industry, because I kind of listened to some podcasts over there, there's a big joke around chemtrails as well, right? <laughs> so is it, is it really, you know, is it really just airplanes or, or what? But, um, yeah, it's, you know, when it comes to these kinds of uh these kinds of devices and the mute button, you know, I trust that that it is actually muting. But, um, you yeah. I'm happy to say I don't have an Echo in the house, though. But I did build a, uh, a uh, Raspberry Pi using the Google AYI, AIY voice recognition kit. So I've got a little red button. <laughs> nice. Next to my desk, yeah. Well, say hi to Steve. See if it says hi. Sorry, I can't send messages yet. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, so let's transition a little bit. I want to. I'll go first and give uh, give you a little break. I know you're talking a lot and don't feel great. Um, last week, I finally got the opportunity to kind of go check out um, a cool project down in South Georgia, um, and it's called the Ray. So you can find more information at theray.org. And it's a project run by the Ray Anderson Foundation. And it's an 18-mile stretch of I-85 that goes from Georgia down to the Alabama state line that's focused on all sorts of technologies built around trying to make the interstate carbon neutral, right? So it does have some smart city technologies there, but it's got some very specific things that I found very interesting. So 
um, living in Arizona um, in my past, one of them I'd seen before, and one of the technologies they were using was a lot of rubberized filaments in the pavement, right? So building asphalt that's got a lot of rubber in it, one, makes the road a lot softer, but more than anything, it makes it very quiet, right? So they're trying to lower the noise pollution. Uh, uh, many of the technologies that they were displaying were actually at the Welcome Center. So if you're entering Georgia from Alabama, the Welcome Center had a couple of different technologies that I thought was pretty cool. Uh, some of them simple, some of them not, right? So one of the more simple ones was just a simple tire pressure check station, right? Where you can fill up your tires, right? So if you've got the proper tire pressure, you're going to get really good gas mileage and help the environment that way. The second one was a technology built also tied in the tires. <clears throat> and essentially you drove through a station. And when you drove through, you had to drive less than 10 miles an hour. And as you drove through, it did a couple of different things. One, it detected the pressure of the tires um, from um, how much air they were filled with. It also did a mapping of the actual tire th uh, treads for each tire. And then it also had scanners that w would read the, dr uh, the sidewall of the tire. So it was reading things such as manufacturer, model, um, suggested tire pressure, um, and even some additional safety items like uh, when the tire was manufactured. So uh, if your tire's been, you know, if you've had that tire for six years, you're more um, prone to have things like dry rot. So mm -hmm. uh, it was a really cool health check of a tire, you know, overall. And, a, and certainly an interstate's a pretty cool place to do that. One of the other technologies that they're testing was solar panels on the road. So they do not have DOT approval yet to put it on the road itself, but it was uh, in the parking lot at the Welcome Center. And essentially it was generating enough power to power the Welcome Center. So um, they had a lot of really cool topics and things they want to do. Um, there's a lot of legislation that's in place that apparently is very old that is holding us all back from kind of harnessing um, you know, use of some of this land that we could use for the greater good, right? So, um, one of the one of the cool things that we talked about was just this 18 mile stretch. The middle median has over 80 acres of land, right? So they've put pollination gardens and they've put bioswells and they're doing things to try to make it something that doesn't have to be maintained. You don't have to cut the grass, right? Um, it's generating oxygen, so and it's also nice to look at. But there are other areas on the on every freeway, right? On exit and entry ramps, right? There's always this small, what I like to call like a triangle of nothingness, right? Sometimes it's concrete, sometimes it's grass and trees, right? But they're working to create solar farms on those, and I can only imagine how many acres across the United States at every one of those intersections on our freeway system. If we were generating solar power at every single one of those, uh, that would be pretty amazing. So really cool project. It's um, It's got a lot more um, things headed here in the future that they want to add to it, but it's pretty cool to see that they're trying to make something sustainable out of something that's um, certainly not right. It's full of trucks, you know, delivering goods and products, transportation, cars, people throwing slurpy cups out the windows, right? So 
you know, they're they're certainly trying to to make a pretty good change in the environment and using a lot of cool technology to do it. Yeah, so. interesting. You know, I, while you're mentioning the uh, solar um, potential solar panels uh, between. Uh, the two freeways. I was doing a quick Google search, and there's uh, 1.4 kilowatts per meter squared. Um, so, you know, if you figure that the median is, let's say you, we do 100 by 100, um, you know, 100 meters by 100 meters, well, there's, there's quite a bit of energy there, right? So, did you, a question though, you know, in the news earlier this week, uh, Elon Musk did a test drive through his tunnel in LA. Where, was there any, dis, I don't know if you watched that video, but there's only like a couple inches of clearance on either side of the vehicle, um, which kind of uh, triggered a memory or triggered a thought. Was there any kind of discussion of road sensing, uh, condition sensing, um, you know, in the center? Um, any kind of vehicle-to-vehicle communication being demonstrated? Not yet. They were looking to do some platooning projects with mm. over-the-road carriers. Yeah. But yeah. Um, the the middle median um, certainly is a touchy area from a safety perspective. So pretty much yeah. anything that goes in there, you know, has to be somewhat defeatable by a car. Otherwise, you know, it becomes something that makes accidents a lot worse. But yeah. You know, here in the Midwest, things, yeah, they use arrestor cables. We're so, we're start we're yeah. starting to get those. I think that yeah. one of the interesting pieces is, you know, for for solar, for example, right? So maybe they can't put the solar panels on the road, but what if they were able to line them up and down the shoulders? So 18 miles of one strip, you know, that's four, even just four inches wide, right? Of solar panels all the way down 18 miles would generate a lot of power. So. Lots of things that you have to work through because it is an interstate, right? It's not a private road where you can pretty much insert anything you wanted. Um, but they they have a really cool vision, and I'm uh, interested to see where they take it over the next couple of years. Mm, very cool. Very cool stuff. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, there are the, the regulations here in Midwest, the arrestor cables, and so that might convolute how much... Uh, of that land could be developed for solar, but uh, yeah, very good stuff. Yeah, from from my perspective, uh, last or this week was all about agriculture. Um, you know, I'm based here in the Midwest. Uh, there, there's an uh, NSF grant that's uh, that a couple of the local universities that were that I'm involved with uh, almost let it slip out of the bag that I work for Acme Wireless, but. Uh, um, uh, are looking to create 5G networks here in the Midwest to support smart agriculture, smart food production. Um, and uh, also had a couple customer meetings where we're specifically talking about that um, pinpoint accuracy on irrigation, for example, and only applying the, the right amount of water um, um, yeah, in these crop environments. So... Um, Quite interesting stuff. Uh, the other thing that's come up is, um, uh, you know, St. Louis is one of the markets that I frequent at least once a month, and um, I'm getting involved with the CIC, which is um, a Cambridge Extension, uh, down into the St. Louis Cortex. So it's a uh, startup space, work-sharing space, venture space, 
and uh, I'm going to be holding an IoT session um, in uh, uh, in one of their venture cafes. So every Thursday, there's a venture cafe from 3 p.m. to 8 p.m., and uh, they invite different companies to come in and um, talk about either how to build a business or or they might have some uh, web design um, talks. Well, I'm, I'm going to be doing a talk on successful IoT deployments and uh, uh, avoiding some of the common pitfalls out there. So I'm looking forward to that. That's on January 24th in St. Louis. Cool. Well, I think from our standpoint, right, this is – this will probably be the last podcast for 2018. I think that you and I have seen a lot of interesting trends. You know, uh, we might get one more in. We, we might. might get one more. In. We yeah. might. But I yeah. think we've seen some interesting trends. You know, the increase in interest around sensor networks, low-powered IoT devices, certainly new ways of securing devices. You know, I'm already starting to look toward 2019. You know, maybe in 2019 we start to see 5G play in IoT, right? Right, right now there's, uh, at best, maybe what I would call home Internet services kind of built around a couple of things. But I think next year you start to see a little bit better, more widespread deployments. Um, and then, you know, outside of consumer products to really start being manufactured. So, you know really what, exci- we really excited yeah. for that part. You know, one thing we need to talk about, um, it was earlier this week, there were some 5G announcements, so we probably need to talk about that next on uh, the next podcast. Yes, I got, yeah, I've I've made some interesting comments on Twitter about those. Yeah, uh, I think we really need to talk about that. (laughs) You know, if, you know, versus, uh, you know, I know there's a debate of standardized versus non-standardized, so that's definitely a discussion topic, but I think we should also talk about frequency holdings. You know, a lot of the, a lot of the workhorse for 5G, at least with the two carriers, uh, Acme Blue and Acme Red, maybe is a good way of thinking of them, right? Right. Um, They all have significant holdings, but it's all up in the 28 gigahertz or 38, 39 gigahertz range, uh, which, uh, you know, Steve, I think you're from a technical background like I am. You run the propagation um, um, equations, and it's not propagating very far, right? It's, so, it's, it's great for a, a one-mile distance at best, right? Uh, so, you know, some of the models I've looked at, it's <laughs> not point, quite that point, much. Yeah, you know, point, I think six miles. So. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, I think people would be jumping up and down for one mile, but uh, well, you know, I, celebrating. I, well, I think a topic to discuss is that you know a lot of people that may listen to our podcast probably live through the transition from three G to four G, right? Yeah. Whether that's from yeah, a yeah. consumer product or an IoT standpoint, but that's I right. think the deployment yeah. schedule for five G is going to almost be double, right? It's just a lot more complicated. Um, it requires a lot more deployment, right? So I think it's yeah. interesting for you and I probably not only just have a standards discussion, but have a discussion around, you know, different yeah. types of way to deploy 5G and just the reasoning behind why it's not going to be readily available. Um, let's probably let's have a 4G. 5G mini series. And one of the questions that I'm getting from developers is, is 5G forward, 
slash backwards compatible with 4G LTE. So I think we really need to dive into that for our listeners. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely put that on the list. But uh, yeah. I think that's it for today. I uh, appreciate everyone that tuned in and either downloaded or streamed our podcast and certainly look forward to delivering possibly one more here in 2018. But everyone have a... Uh, a great time with your families enjoying the holidays and um, look forward to sharing some new information soon. So, and practice safe IOT. Please secure those connections. All right. (laughs) Everyone have a uh, a great holiday and look forward to having everyone uh, download this podcast and maybe one more this year. So talk to you soon. Thanks.